Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to CBS News Roundup ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, millions of Americans facing excessive heat. It's too hot, especially for kids. The FDA approves a drug that slows the progression of Alzheimer's disease. I feel like I can keep up and live my life the way I want to live my life. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, the dire situation in Sudan amid fighting between two factions. Mostly women and children uh, have been affected and it's really getting bad by PD. I'm Allison Keyes in Washington. Millions in the nation are facing a heat wave. Forecasters say could be one of the worst ever. And what's worse, it's going to be a long one. Much of New Mexico and Arizona will be dealing with excessive heat. And in Phoenix, the worst will likely hit in the second half of next week. Parts of California, South Florida, and some of the East Coast are also dealing with scorching weather. CBS's Manuel Bajorquez reports. In Miami, Florida, they're used to the heat, just not like this. It's toasty. Even by Miami standards. By Miami standards. Bo and his family spent Thursday trying to escape stifling temperatures, which only seem to be getting worse every year. According to Miami-Dade County records, in 1970, there were 84 days when the mercury edged past 90 degrees. Last year, that number soared to 133. You can see it's hotter. You know, throughout the year, and you know, our winters are like that now. Too quick. Yeah, it's too quick. You know, you blink eyes and they're gone. The mix of brutal heat and humidity has been felt across the country, from Arizona to Buffalo, New York, where the local pool provided a much-needed relief. It's too hot, especially for kids. They just want to cool down in some sort of fashion. In Maine, firefighters are bracing for an increase in heat-related emergency calls. None of us that live in Maine are used to this kind of heat. This trend is not going to reverse on its own, and it won't reverse in the coming years. Scientist Amy Clement with the University of Miami says the heat waves are becoming even more serious the warmer the planet gets. You get some south winds, or the ocean is a little bit warmer than usual. This could be naturally a heat wave, but I think what you're saying is that when you layer that on top of climate change, you get these dangerous levels. Right, and those dangerous levels actually occur for longer periods of time as well. And Clement says two key things need to happen to try to minimize the impact. One is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but the other, since temperatures have already risen, is to prepare communities for heat waves that could occur more often, but also last longer. From Tucson, Arizona, KOLD-TV's J.D. Wallace with some advice on staying safe. Using a leaf blower in hair dryer weather is part of the job for Daniel Rivera. Yes, I enjoy being outside working, uh, wildlife, plant life, the heat, it's kind of excessive, but I do enjoy it. 
You like the heat? Yeah, I like being outside. Yes, sir. Okay, to each his own, but Rivera and other outdoor professionals like roofers also try to avoid the worst part of the day. We start at 5, we try to get out early so we can beat the heat, at least the excessive heat. You can have a minor symptom that next thing you know is a major symptom in a matter of moments. Northwest Fire District paramedic Star Majieski and firefighter EMT Damian Verbonik have each been responding to calls for numerous years and urge people to call the professionals, even if it feels just like they got too hot. So I think it's just important to have that situational awareness about yourself and your trigger points when you're not feeling well. Maybe you're seeing spots, you're feeling nauseous. Definitely if you stop sweating, that's a big indication of an emergency. You want to be sweating when it's hot. Sweating is normal. Um, excessive sweating, of course, you're going to want to replenish those things. But if you stop sweating, that is a major emergency. They say don't avoid calling because you think your symptoms aren't that big a deal. They could be. The older population, you know, they've made it a lot of years. They're pretty strong, strong-willed as well. And they'll sometimes postpone calling 911 when they probably should have called a little bit sooner. A day like today, you know, I worry about hiking. Um, especially people that are from out of state, they don't realize how hot it can be here and it can really creep up on you if you're not acclimated properly. Because they can help you recover a lot faster than you can help yourself. When somebody, you know, us, followed by the hospital, can get somebody to a place of comfort or better functioning, back to their functioning level, way quicker than you can on your own at home. For Daniel Rivera, the best way to beat the heat is to respect it. Stay hydrated, take your breaks as you need them, and uh, try to get the job finished. Turning now to gun violence in the nation as police in Baltimore announced an arrest Friday in a mass shooting where two died and 28 were hurt. CBS's Scott McFarlane. Baltimore police won't publicly release the name. They say it's a 17-year-old who they've arrested for his connection to the mass shooting spree Sunday morning at a community cookout, an annual tradition in Baltimore. 28 people were wounded, two Young adults were killed, but they've also said they believe multiple shooters were involved. There could be more arrests to come, and the casings from the scene indicate more than a dozen guns were used. An admitted white supremacist was sentenced Friday to 90 consecutive life sentences in federal prison for killing 23 people at an El Paso Walmart in 2019. No emotion from 24-year-old Patrick Crucius as the life sentences were handed down. It came after two days of victim impact statements from the families. Amaris Vega lost her aunt, Teresa Sanchez. She addressed the shooter in court. He wanted to get rid of the Hispanic people here in El Paso, but he didn't do that. He failed, and he didn't win. We're still here, and we're not going anywhere. El Paso District Attorney Bill Hicks says the federal sentence will have no impact on the state trial, which could happen as early as next year. We are still going to be seeking the death penalty on the Walmart shooter. Chris Fox for CBS News, Austin. In Philadelphia, multiple murder charges against a man police say rampaged through the city, killing five people. In Philadelphia, a devastated community searching for peace through prayer. At some point, they have to come to a resolution. They have to figure out how to stop it. The Wednesday night vigil just hours after prosecutors charged Kim Brady Carricker with five counts of first-degree murder. Surveillance video appears to show the moment the 40-year-old started shooting at random Monday night, killing five and injuring several more. He cared for everybody around him. He showed me what love was. 
Meanwhile, new surveillance video appears to show the moment someone fired into a crowd in Fort Worth, Texas late Monday. 11 people shot. Police say they have no suspects and no motive. My family is heartbroken. This shouldn't have happened. After those shootings, plus more in Shreveport, Louisiana and Washington, D.C., the Biden administration renewed its call for Congress to ban assault weapons and limit magazine capacity. Lives are at stake in communities, the lives of our kids. And these are meaningful, meaningful common sense reforms that the American people support. With movement unlikely on a divided Capitol Hill, Philadelphia's mayor is moving on his own, filing a lawsuit against two major suppliers of untraceable gun parts. Let this be a warning to these manufacturers. We are coming, and we will not stop until these weapons are eliminated from our streets. Jared Hill, CBS News. Coming up, a new tool in the battle against Alzheimer's. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. The FDA Thursday gave full approval to lecanemab, a landmark drug to treat Alzheimer's disease. 6.7 million people in the U.S. suffer from it, and the medication has been proven to slow cognitive decline in those in the early stages of the illness. But some are concerned as it costs more than $26,000 a year, and there have been side effects. CBS News Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. John LaPook joins us. This is the first time that the FDA has given full approval to a drug that actually changes the natural progression of Alzheimer's disease. Uh, it's very important that we emphasize it's for people with early dementia, early evidence of Alzheimer's. So you have to have early cognitive decline, uh, mild cognitive decline, and evidence of amyloid uh, in the brain. Now, what's amyloid? Just to remind you, amyloid is that gooey substance that covers can cover um, the surface of the brain and it can disrupt normal communication between nerves, and that can lead to dementia. So um, this was a trial that uh, lasted about 18 months. It slowed the decline in the mental status and cognitive function by about 27%, and that translated to about six months slowing of the decline in cognitive function over the 18 months. We don't know what's going to happen after the 18 months. Very important to say it doesn't reverse dementia. It doesn't reverse the cognitive um, uh, problems there. You're not going to regain lost memory. But briefly, John, there are a couple of things, right? Because more than one in 10 users had brain swelling or bleeding. And there's also an equity issue here, right? Yes, there are side effects. Um, there were people who had uh, evidence on on scan, on brain scan of bleeding or microhemorrhage or macrohemorrhage at different stages of bleeding. Um most of them were did not have symptoms. You know, there were people who did have some devastating bleeds. There were some deaths, um, but it tended to be relatively rare. Um, there are definitely equity issues here. Um, you know, we know that that blacks are about overall about twice as likely to develop um, dementias 
you know, both um, Alzheimer's and other causes than whites. And it's very important to, to distinguish between those because um, they're more likely to develop the dementias and yet they're less likely to be diagnosed. And I reached out to Dr. Um, uh, Sperling, Dr. Uh, Risa Sperling, who is a professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School. She's the director of the Alzheimer's Research and Treatment at Brigham and Women's. And I asked her about this and I said, you know, is it that Blacks are at increased risk for Alzheimer's or is it for all causes of dementia? Because, you know, a bunch of a lot of dementia is from other other causes. And she said, yes, you know, although the statistics are that blacks are at about twice the risk of having cognitive impairment, there are several lines of research that show actually decreased prevalence, decreased uh, likelihood of finding amyloid. That's that gooey substance among black um among blacks by various kind of testing. And so, you know, the increased risk of dementia is likely at least partly due to comorbidities, you know, like high blood pressure and diabetes, and as well as longstanding differences in social determinants of health. You and I have talked about that before. We need to have a lot more work done with this in this study. That's CBS News Chief Medical Correspondent, Dr. John LaPook. Turning now to the economy, as the latest jobs report finds that the market is strong but hiring is slowing, CBS's Natalie Brand. 17-year-old Hadley Boggs is now part of the workforce. She got her first ever summer job scooping ice cream. I hope to save for college and also have some fun money on the side. The economy continues to bring on workers, adding 209,000 jobs in June, a historically strong number but less than expected. And revised data for May and April shows hiring was weaker than previously estimated. Still, the unemployment rate remains near an all-time low at 3.6%. Is the job market slowing down? The job market remains quite robust, but the pace of hiring is moderating. Bank rate senior economist Mark Hamrick says workers are making more. Wages are up 4.4 percent over the past year, which is slightly higher than the annual rate of inflation. It doesn't mean that workers feel like they're ready to high five each other in the sense of having uh, won the battle against inflation. But it means that that balance has somewhat shifted uh, back more favorably to workers. But when people have more money, they tend to spend more, which can fuel inflation. And that remains a major concern for the Federal Reserve. Inflation with the uh, rates running well above the Fed's target of 2%. The Fed looks at that and says, oh, we still have more work to do. Economists believe that means the Fed will raise interest rates again at the end of the month, hoping it brings inflation further down. Natalie Brandt, CBS News, Washington. Call it pure speculation, but there are some in the nation wondering whether California Governor Gavin Newsom could replace President Biden at the top of the 2024 ticket, even though Mr. Biden is showing no signs of stepping aside. KOVRTV's Madison Keevy. While Newsom personally tamps down the flames, it's clear that others around him are stoking them. Newsom right next to President Biden. That's what we've seen play out during the president's most recent trip to the states, a good setup for what many politicos say is, at the very least, a 2028 campaign start. It's an embarrassment of riches. Uh, and of course, uh, with uh, Governor Newsom at the top, you know, I think that just in general breeds a lot of excitement. When Newsom's in the headlines for the country's top job, Democrats statewide win, at least when it comes to fundraiser support. Sacramento Democrats are fully behind the Biden-Harris ticket for 2024, but say Newsom's national tour helps boost the Democratic Party across the country. 
you know, not only winning the White House matters, but so does winning Congress and the state legislature, city councils, county board of supervisors and school boards. Let's not forget earlier this year, the Democratic National Committee overhauled the party's presidential nominating calendar to avoid a destructive primary. Now they want to do away with the Iowa and New Hampshire early contest in favor of starting in South Carolina. Oh, by the way, coincidentally, the breakthrough state for Joe Biden last time around. After the Supreme Court nixed President Biden's student debt forgiveness plan, some people must resume their payments. CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger. The Supreme Court's ruling means 45 million student loan borrowers must start repaying those loans on October 1st. To prepare for that day, make sure that you're in touch with your loan servicer to confirm your personal information, loan amounts, interest rates, and payment plans and enroll in auto debit, which will keep you on track. If your financial situation has changed, go to studentaid.gov and use the loan simulator to determine if a different repayment plan better meets your needs or if consolidation might help. There are income-based plans as well as public service loan forgiveness programs that can help. President Biden also announced the temporary on-ramp program, For one year, starting October 1st, people who miss student loan payments won't go into default, won't be referred to a debt collection agency, and won't take a hit to their credit score. In New York, I'm CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger. Coming up, NATO's close watch on Russia. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. NATO leaders and President Biden are set to agree to modernize Ukraine's armed forces when they meet next week. The leaders will also create a new high-level forum for consultations and reaffirm that Ukraine will eventually join the alliance. But NATO's Secretary General says that won't happen while Ukraine is at war with Russia. CBS News senior foreign correspondent Holly Williams visited a NATO air base ahead of the summit and reports how it has ramped up its policing of the air since Russia invaded Ukraine. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, binds the U.S. together with its European allies with a promise to defend each other if they come under attack. And here in Europe, the allies are also working together to intercept Russian aircraft approaching NATO airspace. At an airbase in Eastern Europe, NATO F-16 fighter jets are scrambled. Flight crews from America's European allies have just 15 minutes to get airborne. This is just a drill, a training exercise, but the threat is real. Since Russia invaded Ukraine last year, NATO has ramped up its air policing along its eastern flank. Nearly all the planes they intercept are Russian military, flying close to NATO airspace, sometimes with their transponders off, violating international regulations. Last year, there were nearly 600 intercepts. We flew over Europe in a refueling tanker. They are super close. I can make out the pilots in the cockpits as NATO fighter jets practiced intercepting us. If you leave them all alone unescorted and we have civilian airliners uh, flying in the same airspace, then you could potentially have a mid-air collision. Major General Harold Van Pei told us the Baltic Sea is a hotspot, with Russia on one shore as well as several of America's NATO allies, including Estonia, 
a tiny nation smaller than West Virginia with a population of just over a million. When you have a bully in school, then uh, the bully does not bully you when you have big friends. And this is the way uh, NATO works. On the ground, we met the Prime Minister of Estonia, Kaya Kallas. Her country was once invaded and occupied by the Soviet Union. Now independent Estonia shares a border with Russia. So it's about, a, about 120 miles in that direction, yeah, yeah. Russia. Yeah. For countries like Estonia, democracies that live in the shadow of Russia, how important has American leadership been following the invasion of Ukraine in terms of unifying NATO's response? Well, the uh, United States is the biggest ally in, in uh, NATO and therefore everybody's looking up to uh, America for, for leadership. This is a fundamental uh, fight for freedom that is going on. But some in the US are questioning whether America should continue to support Ukraine. I will have the disastrous war between Russia and Ukraine settled. It will be settled quickly. That could mean pressuring Ukraine to give up part of its country for a truce. And it makes some here in Europe nervous. What keeps you up at night? One of the nightmares is that, uh, that our unity is falling. Now we have kept this unity. And I think my nightmare is related to uh, this uh, unity falling apart. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is in Beijing, where she is warning China to end what she calls unfair labor practices. CBS's Elizabeth Palmer reports Yellen spent time hearing from American companies there. Her message to company representatives, including from Boeing and Bank of America, we know it hasn't been an easy time for you. I've been particularly troubled by punitive actions that have been taken against U.S. firms in recent months. That's a reference to raids this spring by police on three companies the Chinese government, without offering solid evidence, said were suspected of spying. But in spite of this friction and a chilly Beijing-Washington relationship, U.S.-China trade is booming. It reached an all-time high last year. Everything from iPhones to solar panels to soybeans, worth an eye-watering almost $700 billion. It's crucial to both countries. As the secretary told the second most powerful man in China this afternoon, Premier Li Qiang, it needs protecting. But we should not allow any disagreement to lead to misunderstandings that needlessly worsen our bilateral economic and financial relationships. The premier, who knows Yellen from previous meetings, seemed in a receptive mood. In his welcoming remarks, he said, the U.S. and China would surely see more rainbows after going through the wind and rain. The goal of this trip is to pave the way for more talks. But in spite of the cordial formalities, Yellen has a tough line to deliver, too. And that is that the U.S. is not prepared to back down at all on some of the things that China is angriest about, notably export controls designed to block the sale to China of extremely sophisticated chip technology that could, say, have military applications on national security grounds. Elizabeth Palmer, CBS News, Beijing. The UN chief is calling for a strong international police force in Haiti to break the stranglehold of armed gangs there. CBS's Pamela Falk. 
Haiti is in crisis, already racked by poverty, disease, and extreme violence. And this week, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres urged world leaders to find a way to help. Port-au-Prince is encircled by armed groups that are blocking roads, controlling access to food and health care, and undermining humanitarian support. Predatory gangs are using kidnappings and sexual violence as weapons to terrorize entire communities. The United Nations is calling for a robust international force to restore security and to defeat and dismantle the gangs. Here is U.S. Deputy Ambassador Jeffrey De Laurentiis. The United States supports the deployment of a multinational force to Haiti to help its police restore security. On a visit to the region this week, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said that the U.S. is actively searching for a country to head an international force, which the U.S. would support without U.S. forces involved. Haiti's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Jean-Victor Genéus, told Security Council members through a translator that Haiti needs international help. The Foundational Charter of the United Nations has the provisions that could help Haiti on its road to peace, security, and socioeconomic progress. Mr. President, the UN, through its Security Council, has a responsibility, the moral responsibility, to prevent the shipwreck of Haiti. Pamela Fox, CBS News, United Nations. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, The Humanitarian Crisis in Sudan. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, where every week we discuss issues including gender. This time we're looking at the situation in Sudan, where more than two million people are displaced in that nation over a battle between the military and a rival paramilitary group. Almost three million have fled Sudan, hundreds of thousands to neighboring Chad. The U.N. has condemned increasing reports of sexual violence against women and girls. This as the International Rescue Committee, a global relief organization, is sounding the alarm about the humanitarian crisis. IRG Sally Anyanga joins us to discuss the deteriorating situation on the ground in Sudan. Millions of people have been trapped in their houses, unable to leave. Uh, we have thousands who have died. We have tens of thousands who have been displaced uh, internally within Sudan and also uh, at the borders of other countries as refugees. Uh, we are seeing the prices of uh, food really going up because of shortages. And the health system is almost uh, collapsed uh, with over 70% of hospitals not operating uh, because of shortages of supplies. Um, the situation is really bad. Uh, we are seeing uh, there's no uh, water. The water pipes have been broken during the fight. And uh, so we are foreseeing um, a serious public health crisis uh, if that is not corrected. And uh, mostly women and children uh, have been affected. And it's really getting bad by the day. Talk to me about the situation for women and children there, because I understand that the conflicting forces are kidnapping them and sexually assaulting them basically on a daily basis. Well, uh, we are receiving uh, such cases, and um, which is very saddening. And um, um, again, it's very hard for them to have access to uh, medical assist- assistance because of the collapsed uh, health system. 
but uh, the international rescue the, the international rescue committee is currently offering the psychosocial support to the victims who are coming in very traumatized and affected by the war. Uh, we are also offering uh, primary health services to the mothers and children who, who were injured and have not been able to get the medical assistance that they need. Um, we are also offering uh, nutrition services to uh, the malnourished children who have been cut from uh, accessing aid uh, in Sudan and and uh, have not been able to, to feed their children. And so we are uh, supporting them to ensure that they are able to get their nutritional su supplies to continue giving to their children and uh, just to ensure they are all safe. Let me ask you really briefly, can you tell me just basically what this dispute is about? I know it is the army versus the paramilitary. Is, is it Arab versus Arab? Is it that simple? Yeah, uh, it's just uh, a fight within the government uh, between the two armies that are competing over, over, over power. So it's just a political fight that unfortunately is really uh, affecting civilians most and yeah, uh, taking away the lives of many people. So it's just political, but affecting people, uh, civilians more. I know that nearly 200,000 refugees have gone to Chad alone, right? What's what's the situation with them there? What's hap How are they getting there? And what's happening when they get there? Uh, the situation is very horrific in Chad. Uh, we actually uh, have uh, so many of them coming in traumatized. They're tired. They're injured. And we are, uh, the International Rescue Committee is... Uh, has a water truck to to help uh, provide the people who are coming in very dehydrated with water, with clean water. And we are also having children and uh, some ch children who uh, who are lost, uh, unaccompanied minors. And so we are also working with other organizations uh, to try to ensure that uh, we are able to trace their parents or maybe to place them in a foster family care. And uh, it's it's really sad. Uh, we are at the moment trying to relocate them to existing camps uh, in Chad. But again, the number is too high and it keeps increasing, uh, which is um, really, really grievous. Uh, and you know, Chad already uh, is a low-income country. And so these numbers uh, put the country in a very difficult situation. What do what do people and I know again it's mostly women and children who arrive in Chad. What is their most urgent need? Is it water? Is it basic support? Or is it just help for their injuries that they've sustained on the journey? Uh, uh, right now, what is needed mostly is first uh, access to healthcare because, as I had said, uh, the health uh, healthcare facility has collapsed, and so many people coming from Sudan have not been able to have access to medical services. Some of them are injured. Some of them had pre-existing conditions and are not able to have access to uh, uh, health care. And so right now that is really needed to, to ensure that uh, the people who are injured get medication. Those who have pre-existing conditions are able to attend it too. Uh, the second thing that is also needed is uh, access to food. And um, uh, because of the, the fighting, the price of food has really shot up because of shortages. And so... Uh, humanitarian workers and and uh, international leaders have to ensure that the food uh, is accessible, affordable, and accessible to uh, the communities in need uh, so that they are able to feed uh, their family and even their children. 
and also something else that is needed is access to clean water uh, because uh, at the moment uh, that is not happening and we've seen um we've seen outbreak of diseases uh, we are not talking of missiles and um also we foresee uh, other public health crises uh, coming up if uh, we're not able to give clean water immediately let me ask you where where are you getting the food and water that you're able to provide right now and have you been getting any help from the international community yes we've been getting help from donors but uh sadly from the amount that was needed uh, only 11% has been uh, delivered and so we are calling upon international leaders to to pump more resources uh, to the crisis so that we are able to reach more families to able to reach more children and uh, more mothers to ensure they're able to have access to clean water they're able to have access to food they're able to uh, have access to uh, healthcare when you say donors how how much money are you trying to raise the amount was 200 the the amount that ha- had been estimated was 240 million USD but at the moment uh, we have just been able to raise 11% of that so there's a huge funding gap uh and we are really calling donors to help us uh to fill in that gap so that we are able to save more lives as we speak thousands of people have lost their lives i think we even stopped counting because the numbers keep going up by the day and it's very sad uh so if we are able to have uh enough resources we are able to reach more people but again more importantly is also again to call for international leaders uh and all uh, sudanese stakeholders to work without delay to ad- to address outstanding issues with a view to achieving a lasting and inclusive political peace just to ensure that uh, civilians are able to get the aid that they need uh and also uh, ensuring that uh, aid workers are given the space to be able to uh, provide services uh we've had instances where uh, agents where fuel has been looted from agency vehicles which uh, has also hindered operations in areas where where organization where aid organizations are still operating in Sudan in a few areas where it's a bit safe uh, we also we also think the banking system is not working and so again um both uh, civilians and even aid workers are not able to have access to their income and so if we are able to at least create an environment where this peace um humanitarian workers are able to stretch further and reach more people and save more lives that's Sally Anyanga with the International Rescue Committee coming up a tribute to a female pioneer that's next on the CBS News weekend roundup it's three o'clock somewhere Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit mymochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. 
on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. From Madison, Wisconsin, a first-of-its-kind team giving a group of athletes a place to belong. For this team, hockey really is less about winning and more about community. Team Trans is the first all-trans sports team in the United States. Goalkeeper Mason LaFave says growing up, he felt out of place playing girls hockey. He transitioned in 2016, and now he's one of more than 150 members across the country on Team Trans. Why do you think so many people are interested in playing? A sense of community. I never understood the concept of found family until I joined Team Trans. For safety reasons, the team doesn't publish personal information. But the support it provides players has saved lives. There are players who have told me outright that they wouldn't be around anymore without Team Trans. What do you think when you hear that? I'm glad that we were able to help them, but I hate that we're in a space where they needed that help. Jace Moe, who learned how to skate just two years ago, says even if they can't change what's in other people's hearts, the players are lifting themselves up. The biggest thing I've learned from this group is that we're all human, we're all going to fall, and what really makes us a classy operation is that we're a team of people who get back up again and keep going. Carving a new path on and off the ice. One, two, three, Team Trans! Roxana Saberi, CBS News, Madison, Wisconsin. There is hope on the horizon now for people dealing with debilitating leg and back pain. In Minneapolis, surgeons at M Health Fairview are trying out a new procedure that offers long-term pain relief without addictive medication. In an instant. Went to go grab a gallon of milk out of the back seat of the car and was not able to stand back up again. Dawn Roots Houston became one of the more than 51 million Americans suffering from chronic pain. Pain in the back was there and it's stiff and it's sore and it, 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 it crunches but the pain would shoot down my legs. It's what caused the 53-year-old to leave her job as a gas station manager where she was on her feet for more than 10 hours a day. As soon as I got home, I didn't do my yard work, I didn't do my flowers. I just, I just wanted to be sitting down with my legs up and just not moving. Roots Houston tried and explored many back and leg pain remedies before turning to microscopic spine surgery. 13 months later, her pain returned. When a nerve has been impinged and sending pain signals for that many years, it's a sign that probably there's some scar tissue built up in the nerve. And even when you free it with uh, sort of classic surgery, it, the nerve isn't sort of going to behave perfectly afterward. Neurosurgeon Dr. Rohan Lal suggested Roots Houston take part in a clinical trial at M Health Fairview of the world's first double infusion transplant, a procedure that does not require any narcotic pain treatment. Unfortunately, a lot of people that get hooked on that stuff, and that was not a route I wanted to go to. She opted for the new integrated solution developed by Minnesota-based Centrifuge and the University of Minnesota. What we're doing is both fixing this instability in the spine, freeing and decompressing the nerves, and then placing electrical leads onto the nerves, um, which send a subtle electrical signal to limit the uh, nerve pain and back pain that patients feel even after a successful surgery. Game changer. That's how Roots Houston describes the procedure over a year later. Now if she has pain, she can adjust the stimulation of her neuromodulation device using her cell phone. As I tell my, my family and friends, don't mess with my buttons because I'm always on. <laughs> so a year ago, mm -hmm. 
would you be able to go for a walk like this in the park? Um, I might be able to go for a small walk, but it would not. I would not be standing upright like this. I would be limping and hunched. More recently, she's gotten back to a favorite summer pastime that the pain once made impossible. I love riding my motorcycle, <laughs> and that is something that I've gotten back into again. WCCO-TV's Derek James. A husband and wife duo in Knoxville, Tennessee, have just taken their first basketball coaching job. They are combining their focus on faith and their love of sports to offer a special treat for special needs girls. WLVT-TV's Paige Dower. God really opened our eyes to um, the journey that it could be, the impact of lives that we can make on these young women, and we're super excited. Dominic James Wright and Angela Phillips Wright have been around basketball their whole lives. After their collegiate careers and Dominic's professional career, they dedicate their time to their ministry. Jesus is bigger than basketball. Now they're taking on a new challenge, landing their first coaching job at Grace Christian Academy. We love a challenge, but really more than anything is preparing for the preparing these girls for the next phase of life. We want them to be exceptional leaders and uh, share Christ wherever they go. Before the 2023 season begins, they'll be hosting a free special needs basketball and cheer camp at the end of the month. We decided to do this camp in honor of my brother. He had Down syndrome and he passed away due to complications with Down syndrome. These are unbelievable kids, unbelievable families, they're special needs, uh, but they're so incredibly gifted and talented and we think we're a blessing to them, but really they're a blessing to us. Finally, this month marks the 40th anniversary of America's first woman in space, Sally Ride. Tuesday, a statue of her was unveiled at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. CBS's Elise Preston on how Ride and her legacy have inspired a generation to reach for the stars. Ignition and liftoff. This was the moment astronaut Sally Ride ignited change, becoming the first American woman in space. Yeah. 40 years later, Ride's family, including her 99-year-old mother, unveiled a statue in her honor in California. Sally was a trailblazer. Bear Ride always thought of her big sister as a hero. Sally kind of leapt over barriers. Mm. She didn't see it as something that should stop her, but rather a challenge. Astrophysicist Dr. Sally Ride notified her family of an important event in her career. She'd been selected by NASA to be an astronaut candidate. They're um, almost as excited as I am. Whatever she took on, she just, she excelled in it. I mean, it taught me not to be competitive because there was absolutely nothing I could, <laughs> I could beat her in. Ride excelled far beyond space. She spent most of her time on Earth, making science more accessible to generations of women and girls, a mission she worked on until her death from pancreatic cancer in 2012. What do you think she would say about all of the women who have come after her? She would be delighted that things have changed. Yeah. And now a new tribute, serving as a reminder of Ride's legacy. You know, I always thought Sally was larger than life, but now she really is. Elise Preston, CBS News. That's it for the weekend roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to Weekend Roundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. The Weekend Roundup is produced at the CBS News Washington Bureau. Sarah Fishman is the technical supervisor at Alan Pang, provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News.
If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.